Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking production company. Uh, right now, headed by yours truly. And uh, let's see, just finishing up film 14 by the time you'd read this lady hyde had already had its premiere i mean hear this not read this lady hyde has already had its premiere uh, at the dreamland cinema played two dates and uh i should be on probably finishing up editing hopefully at this time we already got it quite a bit done i still got to film a few little pickup shots exterior stuff just real boring stuff but needs to be done uh, for Emmanuel in Sin City, and I uh, definitely plan to have that out before the end of 2022. So I'm thinking like maybe September, October. So anyway, that's my plan. So, uh, But anyway, right now we are here to talk about Jess Franco, of course, being the Franco Observer podcast. And I want to thank you all for joining me so far. And we are now on episode 99, double nines, nine. So, yeah, 99. Film 99, Saddlemania. It is the USA DVD title. Oh, yeah, once again, before I jump into all this stuff, get all the information from Flowers of Perversion by Stephen Thrower. I recently went on Amazon to look up these two books, uh, Volume 1 and Volume 2, and it looks like they're out of print now, so yeah, I'm happy I got mine when I did. It looks like they're fetching two to 300 bucks or so, for, or more, so yeah, it's good to buy these, good investments. Uh, now I guess they're out of print, unless they're going back in for another reissue. That's what I'm thinking, I'm thinking they're going to do another printing, or an update or something, so we'll see. But yeah, that's where we get all this uh, great, beautiful information from. So, this is Saddlemania, USA DVD title, Spain and West Germany, 1980. Uh, let's see, the original theatrical title in countries of origin, Saddlemania. Saddlemania, dude! It's like Hulkamania, but the original, Saddlemania, running wild in 1980. Saddlemania, El Infierno de la Pasión, Spanish title. And uh, in the West Germany, because it's a co-production... That is their Pleasure Inferno, which is a old title. I like Saddlemania Pleasure Inferno or Pleasure of Inferno, um, but now they just shortened it to Saddlemania. So yeah, Germany, Saddlemania, Hole, Der Lust, West Germany, Saddlemania, Pleasure Inferno. Alternate titles. Great Britain, theatrical title, was Prisoners of the Flesh. Almost sounds like a uh, David Cronenberg film. Uh, in Canada, Canadian theatrical, is uh, Pleasure Inferno. They took out Saddamania, just Pleasure Inferno. Le Infier, Le Infier de Placia. Uh, Spanish video, Saddamania Violentia. A U.S. video, I like this one, Hellhole Women. That's a great prison movie. Hellhole Women. Uh, let's see. Argentino video. Sex Prison. Carcel de Sexo. Uh, Argentino video. The video generated on-screen title. Le Carcel del Sexo. Uh, the Prison of Sex. Sex Prison, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Danish video. Penal Camp Saddlemania. Uh... 
Strafa Gen Salomania and Spanish Deposito legal registration title. Correctional. Straight up. All right, unconfirmed title. Of course, 2000 at the end of everything. No one, Jess Franco. So we have Correctional 2000. I like that. Uh, yeah, Eugene 2000 and all the other 2000s. So yeah, Correctional 2000. Original Spanish title according to Film Portal. No reference in Spanish press sources. Or a Salomania Vangi el Svendidali Polka. Hungarian DVD, I guess? Hmm. Question mark. Production companies on this. Uh, this is the first of three for Lisa slash Metro Film. Did this and uh, Bloody Moon and Linda. Uh, and then uh, Plata Film out of Madrid. And uh, theatrical distributors, Leader Films, SA out of Spain. Residence Film, R-E-S-I-D-E-N-Z, not Residence, but Residence Film, out of West Germany. And uh, Golden Era Film Distributors Limited, out of UK. Quite a few dates here on this timeline. Let's see. Shooting date. So they shot this around October of 1980, which is my birth. So I love that. I was about seven years old at this time. Uh, Let's see. Deposit legal number. So it was... Had its got its number for distribution in January thirteenth of eighty one. Wow, like three months later. That's really close, fast. God damn, he had this. He had this edit, shot edited and ready to go in about three four months. That's crazy. Um, actually, but yeah, almost two two and a half months. Actually, that's that's wow. That's see, that's the speed. That's why I love Franco. He just gets it done, man. No, like I don't know. I did two films in two years, and I thought that was crazy, but, God, he's doing, like, three months, next film, three months, boom, 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 beautiful. Uh, Germany played, or got the X certificate issued on March of 81, March 17th, and it played March 19th, 81, and played Cologne March 19th of 81, or premiered there, actually. Uh, I'm not sure how long it played there, but uh, Cannes Film Market Screening got it in May of 81, then it had Spanish approval date, June 4th of 81. Then played Seville, August 7th, 81. Uh, then played Madrid, August 21st, 81. And Alast, Belgium, February 26th, 82. Then the uh, UK got an X certificate issued for it in March 31st of 82. Then played Paris, May 26th of 82. Uh, Cartagena, May 28th, 82, and finally Barcelona, August 9th, 1982. So yeah, a nice nice run there, basically from uh, March 81 to about August of 82, so yeah, about a year and a half, give or take. Uh, Let's see, theatrical running times. In Germany, it was 85 minutes, 34 seconds, Spain, 98 minutes, and UK, 60 minutes, 4 seconds, cut from 77.56. Uh, video DVD running times converted where necessary. The US Blue Underground NTSC DVD, which is the one I'll be watching. I haven't yet seen this, so looking forward to it. Uh, let's see here. Um, that's at uh, 102 minutes. One second here. Little technical thing. I gotta. It's bugging me here. All right, I'm good. All right. Uh, yeah, that's 102, 102 minutes, 30 seconds. As Sadomania, El Infierno, Dilapacion. 
then Dutch, the European Shock PAL DVD is 87 minutes as Saddlemania. Okay, well, director, let me guess who, you know who all, Jess Franco, as Jess Franco, not as, uh, you know, uh, Clifford Brown or, uh, you know, any of their fake names. Uh, writers, Jess Franco, Gunther Ebert, or in relation to uh, Roger Ebert. Uh, director of photography, Juan Solar Kozar, miscredited to Hans Furberger. Focus puller, camera assistant, uh, Angel Oridadales, production manager, Julio Para, Antonio Mayans, as Jose Antonio Mayans. Art director, Rolf Albrecht. Um, editor, Jess Franco. Assistant editor, assistant director, Lena Romay, as Rosa Almaral. There we go. It's a new one for her. Music, Jess Franco. Lab, Photo Film Madrid. Uh, boom, 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 boom. Looking good. Okay, uncredited stills. A Spanish release, Juan Solar Cozar. First camera operator, Jess Franco. Yeah, Franco operated camera on this um, to increase the speed of shooting. So, yeah, he was camera operator as well. I like that. Director, camera operator, editor. That's, that's how I am, and that's the quickest way to film. All right, uh, a cast, of course. We all know why this film is... One of the reasons why this film is huge. Uh, Ajita Wilson is the lead in this as Magna Lato. We have Andrea Guzon as Andrea Guzon, plays Mercedes Lorenz, a.k.a. Conita. Uh, Ursula Buchfellner returns as Ursula Fellner, and she plays Tara Lambert, a drug smuggler. Um, let's see who else we got. Uh, Antonio Mayans as Robert Foster, plays Governor Mendoza. Uta Kopek plays Olga Gordon. Angel Caballero plays Michael Gordon, Olga's husband. Gina Jensen plays Loa Mendoza, the governor's wife. Oh, yeah, too, I was going to say Ursa Buchfeldner, we know from uh, Devil Hunter. She's the main uh, kidnapped starlet in that. So, uh, let's see. And then we have, uh, of course, uh, Otto Rinzer as Mario, a slave trader, and Jess Franco plays Lucas, the brothel keeper in this. We'll hear more about that later. Marie-Louise Lusuet plays Ushi Conceda's Kachita's blonde friend of the brothel. Patricia Quao plays Una, guard who fights with Conita. Nadine Pascal, cool, as Bebe, French prisoner. She's been in Friends films before. Uh, Tania Sandoval plays Miriam. Diana Capadevilla plays female guard one. Consuelo Tierra, Maria del Carmen Gonzalez, Maria Encarta Tierra, and Antonio Roas is in the cast. Uncredited is Juan Solar Cozar. Plays the friend of Michael shot during the prison break-in and plays Mario Hinchman in a blue shirt. Plays two roles. And the synopsis we'll go over later during the review uh, and all that stuff. So, all right. Um, production notes. In autumn of 1980, Jess Franco embarked on a three-picture deal with the Munich-based Lisa slash Metro Film. A women in prison film, Saddlemania. A slasher film, Bloody Moon and an erotic drama about sex trafficking, Linda. Also on board for two out of the three, Saddlemania and Linda, was the Madrid-based company Plata Film, whose prior credits include Armando de Osorio's Tombs of the Blind Dead, 1971, and Leon Kilmoski's Werewolf Shadow, 1971. Uh, let's see. Um, he says... Um, 
Juan Solar has a couple of notes. I'm going to kind of skip over some things, but he talks about um, this is a good time to clarify the following. In, in Jess's films, he himself operated the camera, except when he was in front, of course. Why? Because first, he liked it, and I think the most important reason was budgetary. The vast majority of productions we made were quite cheap. Each meter of film was sacred. If I were in charge of a camera, for example, faced with any mistakes or bad movements, a shaky pan, an uncertain zoom or act or failure, I would cut and repeat the scene. If Jess was in control of the camera and experienced any of these problems, he would let them pass because given he was the one who edited the film, he already knew that he would cut away at an insert or a counter shot, etc. Another reason was time. A feature film was shot in three weeks, perhaps less. There was no time for perfectionism, not even to light in many cases, much less to repeat scenes. Since I did not live in Madrid, I did not have the opportunity, for example, to go to the camera rental company and and test cameras or tripods. I found everything there on set. We always had old camera and old tripods with no hydraulic or friction heads. The movements were often bad and just trembled a lot with the camera. We had a problem with the camera on Satomania. The lab warned us that some scenes had come out with strange effects, some unwanted light in the lenses. In fact, the synchronization of the shutter was not perfect. However, some sequences were shot with that effect, in quotes, scenes inside the boat and under the dock. As it was not possible to stop the shoot, we dealt with it in the most improvised way. Angel Oridales and I, in a small kiosk or beach bar with our bodies half outside and the cameras inside, on top of a freezer, completely dismantled an Aeroflex and reassembled it. It worked. All right. Review by Stephen Thor. Sadomania is a whip-cracking cousin to Elsa, the Wicked Warden, serving up the same kind of sado-erotic scuzz with tongue-in-cheek gusto. Franco is in high spirits here, creating an absurd bonbon that nevertheless delivers genuine shocks, especially when it comes to... Well, we'll get to that in a moment. With a topless female chain gang dressed only in cut-off jeans and straw sombreros, it's swiftly clear that the film has precious little to do with reality. Uh, Instead, we're bivouacked within the confines of the male sexual imagination, which makes it all the more fascinating that the star of the show is a transsexual Ajita Wilson, as Magna, the prison wardess from hell. Her camp performance dominates Sadomania and will no doubt govern whether you find the film funny, sexy, sick, or devil's brew of all three. Picking up on the cartoonish quality Diana Thorne brought to Elsa the Wicked Warden, Wilson is in fine form, giving giving lines like, Your squirming is pure joy to me, the lip-smacking relish they deserve. Whereas some Franco women in prison fests, such as barbed wire dolls and women in cell block nine, combine black humor with a stifling aura of cruelty, Sadomania is a relatively bouncy affair. And yes, I'm thinking of the breasts here. They're difficult to ignore. Despite the absurdity and omnipresent sleaze, there are some classy photographic moments along the way. A fight to the death between a spirited prisoner and a bolshy female guard, for instance, which is photographed at sundown on the, co- on the crest of a hill overlooking the sea. Lighting cameraman Juan Solar gives the scene the benefit of his expertise and Franco frames the action beautifully as a duel between silhouettes. It's the sort of pictorial elegance you don't expect to see in an exploitation film, and if it's ultimately just decorative, it's certainly not unwelcome. The girls are mostly decorative, too, blonde and playboyesque. They exude a sultry servitude that will most likely stiffen the corpus 
weekend over some of the majority target audience. Although personally, I miss the more characterful faces seen in Barbed Wire Dolls and Ilsa the Wicked Warden. Benny Cardosa or Peggy Markoff, for instance. Franco's handling of rape and molestation is once again skimmingly superficial, and we're definitely not meant to take anything seriously. The director himself once described the film as a comic strip. Sexploitational considerations totally eclipse plausibility. For instance, Olga remains topless in the clobber, in the clobber, whatever that is. Olga remains topless in the clobber she wore at the penitentiary, even after she's rescued, dressed in nothing but cut-off jeans when sailing to a slave bordello to rescue a friend. The indignity of sexual servitude is barely remarked upon by the victims one of whom even sympathizes with the impotent Governor Mendoza after he fails in his attempt to rape her. Wow. Her compassion extends further to the Governor's wife, Loba, who'd been hoping that the rape might arouse her husband's long enough for her to get some action, too. That's crazy. This is obviously comedic in a sick sort of way, but it's also indicative of a fantasy world that's beginning to turn in on itself. Wish fulfillment figures are common in the cinema, but to have a rape victim show concern for the impotence of her attacker is an extraordinary digression from reality, even for porno. It either mocks the very foundation of rape fantasy, a power trip, by condescending with pity, or else it indicates a solipsis solipsism in which roles are governed only by the fantasist's whim at the moment of writing. The latter is more likely. On the commentary track for this film, which I don't know which disc he watched, but uh, commentary track for the film, Franco states, I am completely immoral. I am proud not to follow the fake morality, which is based on old reasons for which have no reasons to persist. And the scene that proves Franco's not merely boasting... As a therapeutic intervention to cure her husband's impotence, Miss Mendoza arranges for him to watch a prisoner being raped by a dog, a Randy Alstian. So Randy, that's such a stupid word. Randy, uh, a worked-up dog. It's all right. You can put down the phone. The RSPCA need not be involved. It is, of course, faked, but by goodness, it's enthusiastically choreographed. Better still, as far as the plot is concerned, it works. Watching a girl being violated by a dog cures Mendoza of his impotence and allows him to make love to his wife. He's happy. She's happy. The dog looks happy. The victim, less so. But you can't please everyone. Full marks go to Antonio Mayans in this scene. As he watches the bestial tableau, his features contort with a mixture of fascination and pity. That extraordinary and corrupted pity the sadist feels while savoring every moment of a victim's degradation. Shocking as it may be, but this outbreak of simulated bestiality is far from gratuitous. The surrender to animal urge okay, this is the part that's interesting to me. The surrender to animal urges is Sadomania's main theme. The knowledge that our thoughts can be controlled, defined, overridden by animal instinct is a frequent preoccupation of Franco's. And the concept is emphasized repeatedly in the dialogue in Sadomania. For instance, when, when slave trader Mario molests a new arrival, she screams, You're a pig! To which he smirkingly replies, And you're my little piglet. Wicked warden Magna sneers at a woman who she's imprisoned in a tiny crate, gloating, That's all you are, an animal in a cage. 
Later, she feeds her victims to the alligators who live in a nearby swamp. Then there's the governor's wife, whose animal excesses are manifested by her desperate obsession to have her uterus sprayed with her hubby's seed. What matters for him is the total degradation of women. All that matters for her is the frantic imperative to conceive. In both of these characters, a mindless urge completely dominates their actions. Most eloquently of all, the bestiality scene is prefaced and interpolated by some creepy shots of mechanical toys, including monkeys playing musical instruments, their clockwork faces grimacing as they go through their mechanized motions. The dog sex, with its rutting and brutality, is ironized by this material. Humans and animals locked in a paroxysm's of sex as grotesque and mechanical as wind-up dolls, with Franco twisting the key. That's a good part. Even the victims surrender their moral high ground in favor of a visceral satisfaction of the revenge instinct. I know what you're doing is inhuman, but I just don't give a damn, says Quinita, as she sends Magna to her death at gunpoint in the alligator-infested swamps. It's a statement this film seems to endorse and it prevents the climax from turning into a morality tale in a world where vengeance rules, right and wrong, are less important than making sure you have the whip hand. Amen. All right, Franco on screen. In one of his most startling directorial cameos, Franco plays a white slave trader called Lucas, who, despite being gay, specializes in selling women. Faye, cynical, Unfazed by the immoral nature of his trade, he's a curious character for Franco to create, even more so for him to play. The white trafficking subplot culminates with a jaw-dropping scene in which we see Lucas being buggered by a mustachioed black male. Franco claims in a DVD commentary for Sadomania that the man on top of him in the sequence was actually a Gia Wilson wearing a fake mustache. Juan Solar, however, is doubtful about this. I do not remember this scene in which I do I did not remember the scene with the man on top of Jesus, but I'm pretty sure he, he was not Ajit. Ajita. I suppose they could have hidden her hair and put on a mustache, but this man's face is round, whereas Ajita was then with a long angular face. There's also a lady that looks like her too that I noticed in um two female spies with flowered panties and I think cocktail sp- Special. Those, yeah, I think it was those two. So I remember, yeah, that looks like a Gita Wilson that I thought was her. So it's curious that it might be her, who he's mistaking for. Uh, cast and crew: Sadomania sees Franco's first association with the actor Ajita Wilson. So that's, that's funny because I thought it was before. So here it says it's only in two films, but I thought uh, Ajita did four. So um, association with the actor Ajita Wilson. I, Born 1950 and died 1987. So yeah, 37 is how long lived. A slender, commanding, black transsexual whom he also cast in Macumba Sexual, 1981. A Brooklynite New Yorker, Wilson was reportedly born a man but chose sexual reassignment in the mid-70s, mid-1970s before moving to Europe where she established herself as a woman in softcore and hardcore features. She got her start in Euro exploitation with La, Prince, La Principessa Nuda, 1976, directed by Cesar Canavare of Gestapo's last orgy infamy. From there, she worked for Erwin C. Dietrich in Adolescenza 
1978, Jody Amato in La Notte Porno Nel Mondo Number no. 2, 1978, and Lucio Fulci in Lucia il Contrabandieri, 1980. I think it's Contraband, uh, 1980. I think that's the same film. Uh, before attracting the attention of Franco. Never one to mince words, Franco had enormous respect for Wilson as a woman. Speaking on the Blue Underground commentary track for Satomania. Yeah, there's not a Satom- there's not a commentary track on it. He keeps saying that, but it's the uh, interview. That's what he meant to say, I guess. Um, he explained that the film began with the producer's request for a film vehicle. Okay, Jess Franco explained that this film began with the producer's request for a film vehicle tailored specifically to the actor. Something in the style of the Elsa films, perhaps. Franco enthusiastically agreed and set about concocting a movie influenced by the sexier Italian fumetti comic strips with their painting, with their panting sadism and nude terrorized beauties. On working with Wilson, he said, she was charming and we had no problem on a professional level. People very often say that transsexuals have inferiority complexes. They have problems, that they create drama. But in her case, I have to say that I have never met a transsexual with these problems. I think it was all made up by grumpy old women who are jealous of the beauty of these guys. I don't care whether she's a transsexual or not. The result is what counts. What I am interested in, in a film, is to see the bodies. Everybody has secrets. That's all very nice, but I don't care. She has a very beautiful body. Operated on or not, she was a magnificent girl. I don't mean magnificent as in sexy or hot. As a person, she was a girl with great class. All right, music. Satomania's jaunty theme tune by Daniel White is heavily influenced by Dave Brubeck's famous 5-4 time classic, Take 5. That's a good, good track. Uh, White's composition dates back to the early 1960s when it was used in a radically different arrangement for piano and Franco's The Sadistic Baron von Klaus, 1962. Other reoccurring music cues include a guitar and vocal tune from La Chicas de Copacabana and a laid-back piece for acoustic guitar and electric piano called from the sessions from Abrazones Sexuales de Una Major Casada. Uh, often here used to score the scene where Mendoza tries to have sex with Tiara. Uh, there's also an early outing for a haunting melody soon to be more closely associated with Macumba Sexual, played by Franco and Daniel White on ARP Solina in Electric Piano. The haunting melody that accompanies the mechanical toy on Mendoza's mantelpiece is Underground Waltz, taken from Daniel White's library LP, Mystery Blonde. Alright, uh, locations. Uh, shot in the province of Morig... Uh, Mauritia, M-U-R-C-I-A, Murkia, Lopagan, and the Mar Menor Lake on the salt lagoons of Torreveja. All right. UK theatrical release. Saddlemania played briefly in UK sex cinemas as Prisoners of the Flesh, under which absurdly religious title it was submitted. Um... To the BBFC, receiving an X certificate. The film was cut from 77 minutes... 56 seconds to a skinny 60 minutes, 4 seconds, losing over 17 minutes and rendering it, no doubt, utterly boring and unwatchable, even by the miserable theatrical standards of the day. Redemption Films had their attempted video release rejected outright in 94, and it was only in 2005 that a cut version was cleared for UK. Anchor Bay's DVD submission was trimmed from 102.31 to 102.12, removing a shot of a pin entering a woman's nipple, but amazingly did not snip 
simulated bestiality. French theatrical release. Adamania opened on six screens in Paris on May 26, 1982. The Cinevogue Saint-Laurent and the Beverly, two of Franco's most secure Parisian bookings, plus the Vedettes. The Cine Nord, the Scalia, and the Montmartre Cine. It stayed on release in Paris for three weeks before moving on, but it was periodically revived thereafter, appearing in the capital as late as February 88. All right. Coming up close to finishing here. Connections. Sadomania riffs once again on the women in prison genre, with Franco had been peddling repeatedly since 99 women in 1968. Magna hunts victims across a swampy lake infested with crocodiles in scenes borrowed from the most dangerous game. A literary source previously visited in his excellent 1973 film Countess Perverse. Yay, yay. Organized sex trafficking first appeared in his Ovir in Countess Perverse and flourished throughout in Die Sklaven, which is slaves, uh, Girls in the Night Traffic, Gebrule Parto, Burning Up Inside, and Opala de Fuego, which is two female, fi- spl- two female spies in flower panties. Uh, Franco star- stated that the film was inspired by his love of fumetti, violent and erotic Italian comic strips. The rape victim, who expresses sympathy for her rapist, echoes an even sillier and more offensive scene in 99 Women, in which the victim of a lesbian rape not only sympathizes with her attacker, tells a sob story about being turned lesbian by a butch female employer, but proceeds to cuddle up and kiss her. Other versions on Blu-ray Underground's I'm sorry, on Blue Underground's first DVD release of the film, Franco's day for night scenes were accidentally graded as day scenes. The company subsequently reissued the film with its correct grading. In both cases, their version was drawn from an uncut Spanish print, Sadomania, an English language dubbed export version called simply Sadomania on screen was released by Dutch European shock label. Some 15 minutes shorter than the Blue Underground version, it also features a completely different score. Most noticeably is a spooky theme for strings and female vocals heard when Magna torments a caged woman written by an uncredited Gerhard Heinz. The cue is used prominently in Sadomania's neighboring production, Bloody Moon, for which Heinz composed the entire score. Evidently, Bloody Moon and Sadomania were being edited at the same time, and Franco simply borrowed some of Heinz's music for this alternative version. So, that's that story on that. And, of course, the next film, film 100, is Bloody Moon. And we did Bloody Moon way, way back. Let me look up and see which episode that's on if you wanted to check it out. It is on episode 6. We did film 100, Bloody Moon. So, if you want to listen to a review of Bloody Moon, if you're going in order, go back to episode 6 with the... Magnificent Greta Carey is my co-host, and we review that film. So, yeah, hopefully you uh, check that out and dig it. So, it's a good film. Uh, all right, let me get a few more things here, and then we will move on to the uh, review. All right, we got a download button on here, of course. Download the episodes, and please subscribe. Uh, that way you'll get the episodes every Wednesday morning, same time. Uh, 1 a.m. West Coast time, always uh, delivered. I always upload them about a month in advance, so they're ready to roll and programmed on the same time, same day, every week. I like continuity, you know. You can always depend on something at a certain time makes you go back to it. So, yeah, it's always that way for a reason. Uh, if you care to, please donate anything, one time, multi-time, however which you help is helps me. 
uh, right now kind of in between jobs and doing side jobs and doing things to kind of keep my time to do my films and the art. So uh, any extra money or any donations, I will kind of accept. Uh, also, please tell a friend. If you like the podcast, tell people about it. Tell your friends about Just Franco. That's Bill DeFranco Army. And uh, me here in Sacramento, I'm trying to get a local theater that shows independent and cult films to book some Franco films. And they're open to possibly showing a few to kind of see how it goes. So, uh, yeah, let's try to support that as well. The Dreamland Cinema, trying to uh, see if we can get some Franco films playing in that awesome theater. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us or ask any questions about anything, you can get a hold of me by email. I'm at uh, one word Franco Observer at yahoo.com. That's Franco Observer at yahoo.com. Uh, we also have an Instagram page for the Franco Observer podcast. You can add us there and email us there. And we have a Facebook page as well dedicated to the Franco Observer podcast. Uh, let's see. This will be episode ninety nine, and I, um, the co reviewer on this, we're doing a special simulcast episode. So we're recording this, and it'll play on uh, the Franco Observer podcast episode ninety nine, and on the Spooky Dudes podcast. Uh, Corey, uh, one of the hosts, is doing the review of Satomania with me this week. And he and I will talk about the film and uh, the podcast and my films and some other stuff. So, uh, yeah, so hang out, pass the bumper, and you'll hear Corey from the Spooky Dudes podcast and yours truly, Jason Rudy, from the Franco Observer podcast. And we're going to join these two podcasts together, and uh, you'll hear it on this episode and on the Spooky Dudes podcast as well. So check that out. So... Alrighty, I will talk to you on the other side of the break, and I'll tell you what I thought of Sadomania. Alright, this is Jason Rudy with the Franco Observer Podcast, and this is a special simulcasted episode on my end, uh, episode 99, and I'm joined today with Corey from the Spooky Dudes Podcast. How are you doing, Corey? I'm doing great, Jason. How you doing, buddy? Very cool. Thank you for asking me to to do a joint simulcast of both our shows. It's pretty cool. I've been looking forward to doing this. Yeah, man. I I've been uh, you know I've been a fan of your show for some time, and I've just been like, you know, we've done three or four, I think three or four Francos on our podcast. So I was like, I got to get Jason on to talk about the next Franco, whatever it is. I get Jason on there. Yeah, it worked out good for my end, too, because uh, this is a really wild film, and I think you were probably a good person to talk about this film, uh, Sadomania. Uh, ha- um, had you seen this film before? No, this uh, I unwrapped it. It was still in the cellophane from uh, yeah. Blue Underground sale, MVD or something, and uh, okay. opened it up for this episode, man. Cracked it open fresh. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, I know. I had... Uh, I've been trying to watch all the stuff in order as I go along. Earlier, when we started the podcast, I kind of jumped around, but then I tried to stay on track. And it's really cool with Franco to like watch his films in order because you see a lot of things connect the films. Like, for instance, with this film, I'm sure you noticed a lot of the uh, bleeding of like the light on the objects. They had this really weird kind of lighting effect on the people where it looked like like her ring and the faces and stuff had bled down like a weird shine. Yeah, and, and reading on that, his camera was messed up, so they had a hard time 
with the light coming in and they were trying to, and the lab told them, Hey man, some of this footage were coming back and we're having a hard time seeing this light. It's bleeding over and stuff. So it's cool as if you watch, um, the film he did before this, Eugenie, uh, history of the perversion film 98, you start seeing some of that on the image and a few other things and devil hunter as well. So it's like, Watching this, you realize this camera's starting to break down a little bit during these two films because it starts carrying over. So that I thought was kind of cool, and that's something, if you watch all these in order, that's something that you kind of pick up, which is kind of interesting, you know. It's it's definitely got a very unique look to it. Um, I, I I did notice the light thing. I, did, I Now, I didn't connect it with that. I haven't done quite the level of research that you, you usually do. But, uh, yeah, definitely could tell it had the a unique lighting about it. Yeah, it's, it really blew me away. Like, I really want to try to copy that as a filmmaker because, like, that's just such a badass effect. And, like, see, at first I caught it on the Eugenie film before this, and I thought he was using it as, like, a symbol to saying, like, people are transparent or, like, he was trying to give a, a, a an effect with his image. But then I realized it was just a, it was just an accident. It was just something that the camera did. And, and you take it, and being low budget, you just figure out how to work with that and make it a positive instead of a negative. And for me, that was a positive. It made this film like you said, look really otherworldly and just cool and had a other bizarre thing to it, you know? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's like a kind of like a happy accident, right? Like jaws, if that shark had worked out as well, that movie would not be, you know, the masterpiece that it is today. Yeah. 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 No, most definitely. Um, but yeah, so this is like a really, really great film. Um, I really liked it. Um, it's not one of my like top favorites. This is like my 99th or hundred Franco film that I've seen. It's maybe like in my top, 30 or something um i liked it a lot but it wasn't like oh my god you know it blew me away or anything um what say you um it's it's not my bottom one um i i did enjoy i I, i've not made it up to 100 films by franco yet i would say i'm somewhere in the 25 30 ballpark yeah so you gotta feel for his work this one's it's gonna be in my top 15 for now um but I've, I've got a long way to go. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, so what's cool about this film, I'm going to kind of just kind of go through it maybe uh, as it kind of progresses and we can kind of just talk about it as it goes. Sure. Um, it starts off with really cool jazz music. Uh, it's kind of like his take on the Dave Brubeck three, uh, four, I guess it's called the song. The da, 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 da. And it starts off with a really cool, like jazzy little number that Daniel white and uh, Jess Franco did, um, which I really dug. Um, the version you watched, I watched was the English dubbing. Um, I usually don't try to watch English dubbing. I usually watch the subtitled version because it's a better um, pronunciation of the language and it means more and the translations aren't as odd and the voices usually are better. Um, on this, the translation or the d- dubbing wasn't too bad, I think. Um, some were better than others. You know, I thought Franco's was funny and, and those and such, but it was great. I, I did have some technical issues with my DVD where I told it to play subtitles. I don't know if this was my player or the disc. Uh, it would it hop. Have any subtitles at all on it? My, mine said it had them. Uh, like it would the when I hit the menu, it'd say English one of one, and it would switch into another language where they were speaking, and it would show subtitles for like I don't know thirty seconds and come back. Yeah, no, there's a couple of scenes that are in Spanish with the subtitles, like when they're on the oh. boat and they're screaming and that, because I don't think they dubbed that over. And then when they probably put it out on Blu-ray or, or, on, di- or on a DVD, they probably like, oh, shit, we need to. Because those subtitles looked newer. They had the shadows behind them, and they looked 
out like they were jetted out and everything. So that's true. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that's what I was guessing on that. Um, but it's cool. We see this couple and they're basically this, uh, a newlywed couple and they're driving on their honeymoon and uh, they basically cross over into a prison territory or a prison area called the White Hacienda. And uh, it's one of the um, hand-drawn signs, which is pretty funny. It talks about no trespassing or you'll be subject to warrants and all this other stuff, yeah. which is kind of funny because Spain had just gotten out of uh, General Franco's regime and uh, about a year or two before that. So it's kind of a takeoff of the government patrolling everything and you can't come over here or you'll be arrested. And so that's his little kind of jab at the government always like he likes to do, you know? Yeah. Uh, which is pretty funny. So you see that right off the bat. And um, right off the bat, it's great because we have really early nudity and we have tons of nudity all the way through the film. Which <laughs> yeah. <is quite> enough. <laughs> so, some, of those, uh, some of those actresses were just denied shirts the entire filming. Yeah, all the guards, all the prisoners are all wearing cut-off uh, Daisy Dukes in all different different brands and different styles of cuts, which I noticed, which is interesting. Yeah. Did, did you watch the – now, this is sort of jumping around a little bit, but yeah. there was a supplemental interview with him where he was talking about – you mentioned Franco. Uh, yeah. The, who was – Franco was the – General Franco, yeah. General Franco. The same name, yeah, General Franco. Not yeah. to be confused with Jess, Jess Franco. Franco. Yeah. But he people were so accustomed to this guy that they were they didn't think they could film out there in the desert, you know, like he's like, No, it's it's fine, let's just shoot. You you can be naked, it's okay. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he talked about that in an interview. He says, Hey, you know, if we were in the middle of the city or something, I totally understand you can't have topless women in the city, but we're out here in a field in the middle of nowhere. And you're still coming here and busting my balls. So they got on the phone and they called the people. They said, no, let it go. Let it go. Let them film. Let them do what they want. You know? So yeah, it was so funny. Cause they're all so controlled and they're just like, Hey, we have freedom here. Enjoy it. You know, don't, don't be such a snitch, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, that, that was funny. But uh, yeah, so we have the girls with all these cool cut off uh, Daisy Dukes. Uh, I noticed, I, I don't know if Lee jeans was one of their sponsors, but I kept seeing the Lee jeans tag quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. They did not hide it. There was product placement, whether yeah, it was Angler and Lee's. <laughs> yeah. That was funny. Um, so yeah, we had that. Um, and then uh, what I liked is uh, you see the governor and he was kind of watching the chain gang and he has on one glove with his binocular and he's watching them with this really bad fake mustache, Antonio Mayans. Yeah. 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 He, he's, uh, I, yeah, the mustache, I think maybe that's the, it's the key to figuring out how sinister this guy is before he even does anything. Good call. You know, so, you know, something's up. Yeah. yeah. He's got the big sinister drooping mustache. He's got the, you know, and you see him fixing his hair. Plus he's got the one glove, almost like a, like a, uh, Dr. Strange love or something. He's got just the one black glove with the binoculars and kind of looking at her and all, which is funny because he is crippled. He's, he's, uh, impotent. And he needs all these crazy things to get him stimulated, you know, and stuff. So he is similar to that, I guess, you know, I mean, that, think about that till we talk about it. That is true. And we will get into some very twisted arousal yeah. later on. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, and speaking of uh, interesting twisted arousals, we see uh, Magna, uh, mm-hmm. which is played by Ajita Wilson. Um, and, um, you know, she reminded me of a mix between Cher and Diane Carroll. Like physically, yeah, it's very tall, like, very tall, very thin, very yeah. high cheekbones. Uh, 
This is like the first Ajita Wilson film that I've seen her act in. Uh, same here. I yeah. Countess Perverse is one of the... No, no, that's, no, that's not it. Yeah, no, no. She's in uh, Macumba Sexual that's coming up. That one. And, uh, yeah, and then she did a couple other stuff for other directors. But, uh, no, you know, I, I had heard about her reputation and everything. And, and watching this, she really pulled it off. I, I, I mean, there's times I could tell that maybe the, the boob job wasn't the best, maybe in certain things that she looked a little bit masculine. But from especially that time frame when she got her surgery back in the 70s, that's pretty impressive. Right. And then, you know, I had no idea. Watched this wow. entire movie, had no idea. Uh, that she was trans until the interview at the end with, with Franco. I got oh, no, okay. no clue, man. I was just like, you know, cause lots of people have breast implants and they, they're, right. they're all sorts of shapes and things, you know, very commanding on the screen. Uh, but the, I think he mentioned in the interview about her that he had to kind of change the way he filmed because it was hard to believe she was so mean. Like she yeah, had well, to be so commanding and mean. And her neck, and you can see that she has an Adam's apple in a few shots, so he couldn't shoot her here. He had to kind of shoot her here. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm using my hands on a an audio broadcast. <laughs> yeah, basically he's shooting her above the chin and not below the chin, you know. Right. So, yeah, which was but the thing. And she was great. Oh, yeah, very, very good in the role. Very pretty, uh, looked cool. The scene when they were later on where they're uh, hunting the woman where she's running across the river and she's got those boots on and the gun and, very cool scene. I was like, wow, this is fucking badass, man. She's, she's, she's really cool. So yeah. And what was, what was that thing she had? It was like, a, it was almost like a rattlesnake tail or something. Yeah. It's almost like a riding crop and like a cane kind of thing. It had a little of a black kind of a handle. And then it had like a rattan kind of a whip kind of, I think it was more like a riding crop or like a whip kind of a could, thing. That could be, yeah, it was, it was, it's freaky looking, man. Yeah. Yeah. That was really bad. <laughs> very, very cool. And, and it was funny too, like knowing her as transsexual and stuff, there's always the scenes of her stroking the pole. And I was like, Oh, okay. You know, I kind of <laughs> like I wonder, you know, <laughs> but yeah, it's funny. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we have, uh, Magda and, um, uh, let's see what I have. She, uh, oh yeah. So a lot of this film we see, so it's interesting. Um, they're in this jail area and it's a jail, but it's really not a jail. I mean, we don't see like bars outside the place. It's cool how he filmed this. It's like, they all kind of have these rooms they go in and stuff. And he shoots through fences and he shoots through things to give the illusion that it's like a prison. But if you look about the schematics of it, it's just, they jump over a wall and then they can just kind of go inside the place. And there's really no, you know, nothing holding them in bay, you know, and yeah. when they do it. It, 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 he, he pulled it off, you know, and yeah. I, I think, you know, just women in prison films in general, like you get all sorts of different situations set up, right. Where some of them are like, this is obviously a prison. Like they're obviously in there. And some of them it's like, what's actually holding them in. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Especially the jungle films. You see like, a, like the, uh, the hot box areas and stuff. It's just these huts sometimes, even in Franco films, you know, they have like huts and little things. You're like, Dude, you can sneak out of there really easy. I mean, you might <laughs> by the jungle around you, but not the actual prison itself, you know, or whatever it's supposed to be, you know. Yeah, absolutely. That's funny. Um, so, uh, yeah, so um, what I got here is I got uh, – so, like, when I was watching this, and I kept checking the time. Like, in the first 12 minutes of the film, like, so much has happened already. Like, in the first 12 minutes, you have, like, the couple breaking up, the guy getting shipped out, the woman getting sent to the prison – 
introducing the lady and like the all it's like all this stuff already happening. I looked was like this is only twelve minutes. Like fr- the editing and the first, it slows down as it goes, but like that first twenty minutes is like bam, 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 and it's really, really well edited. I thought. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, it's it's definitely got that kind of sandwich effect where you're you're really there's a lot going on here. There's a ton in the beginning. There's a ton going on at the end, and in between, you know, there's there's transition, there's story, there's there's things like that. But it definitely did slow down in the middle. But yeah, the yeah. first it gets you in, you know, wham bam, thank you, ma'am, at the beginning for sure. Yeah, it just, like picks you up and it like drops you right in the story. It kind of tells you what's going on, and other stuff happens later. More characters introduced and the whole subplots and stuff. But it basically starts. Okay, this is a prison movie. And there's this kind of a kinky couple that's kind of overseeing it, which is funny because this is a mix of stuff he was doing at the time. He was doing these prison movies, mm-hmm. then he was doing these uh, sex trade films where he did like cocktails, or he did uh, Burning Up Inside, which is coming out through Vinegar Syndrome, the one with uh, Brigitte Leahy, the El Portalt or whatever, the French one. And then uh, the Eugenie, where he had the couples and the Marquita Sod, which is Sodomania. So he has a lot of the perverse couple where it's a husband and wife or brother and sister, whatever. And here it's the governor and his wife, who she's just as evil as he is. And she's doing all the stuff to procure all this stuff. And it's so funny. Her whole trip is to get him uh, rock hard. So basically he could have sex with her to have a baby. But then like the couple is so disgusting, the things they do and all that stuff. You're like, why is it so important to have his baby? I was like thinking about that afterwards. You know? I, I completely missed the point of, of them trying to have a baby. Um, yeah. But yeah, that that's, that's an extra layer of twisted to this whole plot. Yeah. Like all the shit they go through just to have this baby. And it's like, but she's doing it for society. Cause she probably thinks, well, if I have this baby, then he can't dump me. And, and, and he's the governor of the Island and she's all into her material things and everything, but she's equally yeah. as evil. She's selling people on the side and the guys like, well, you don't need the money. And she's like, well, you don't need, you don't know my habits of what I do and all this other stuff. So she's just like, you know, pretty. Stupid. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause she's, she's like, she's the one that's selling some of these girls to the, uh, to the white Mar- Mario, the yeah, Mario. Boy. Yeah. The ball headed sleazy guy with the mustache on the boat. Now, I had some trouble with this and you, you, you may be better at picking out some of the actors than I am. Yeah. Uh, I mixed some of these people up in the movie. I like the girl she took to the, to the dock to sell to Mario. I thought was, was the right. wi- wife at the beginning. And it, there's a lot of blondes in this movie. I know exactly. <laughs> no, I, I, I kind of got fooled too by the second lady they take to the Island. I was thinking it was, yeah. Cause the, the, the wife was the other lady. And, Cause there's, the, the blonde lady um, with the boots, the first one that gets sold, and she was in Devil Hunter. I don't know if you've seen Devil Hunter. It was a film he did about two films before this. It's in my stack waiting to be okay. watched. So she's the lead in that. She was a Playboy centerfold in the United States when she was 18. She was a Playboy uh, model in Germany when she was 16. So, oh, wow. Yeah, that's, wow. that's her thing. So, yeah, um, her name's uh, Fellner. Um um, Ursula Buckfelder, but she goes as Ursula Fellner. So yeah, this is like the second film she did with, with Franco. And, um, yeah, so yeah, I, I got her confused. And then later on you see her in bed with the missing nipple and that. And so yeah, I got her confused with the guy's wife. And then the other lady, they both look very similar. It's hard to 
Yeah, definitely separate. I, uh, I'm, I'm glad you you had trouble too. Yeah, I was I'm like, a hardcore Franco fan. Even I was like, wait, <laughs> that the, I'd kind of look twice and see. Yeah, I know it's funny, but uh, yeah. So um, so we have uh, blah, 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 blah. so yeah, like I said, and then we have um, what I like to so we see in the in the in the uh, in the prison. There's a bird in a cage shot, and Franco uses that shot in 99 Women and in. Uh, Women behind bars and in uh, barbed wire dolls. There's always he always uses that caged bird, which is a pretty obvious symbol, but it's still cool for him to use that. Almost yeah. like those earlier shots, you know. Um, so he has that, and then um, I caught that, and then what I like, yeah, we talked about earlier the hunting the naked women in the swamp with uh, Antonio Mayans and him. Um, the cool drum music in the scene with the percussion, I thought was really really cool. That whole sequence. Oh yeah, I love the 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 music throughout this film and that that sequence that that's that's one of the more tense sequences in this whole film, I think, because you almost think for a moment she's going to get away and you're like yeah. there's no it's a Franco movie, she's not getting away. Uh and then it comes right back around again to um uh I I have misplaced his name, but the governor. Yeah, and he's, yeah, yeah. he's you know 12 feet from her, so it's a point blank shot. Yeah, because she comes up one side and he goes around the other side and then they, they catch her. But yeah, she gets away and is like running naked and they count to 16 and he has a rifle out and you're like, oh shit, you know, it's like very, uh, like the most dangerous game, you know. Uh, yeah. Like that. And they did that with Countess Perverse too, where they go out hunting, you know, most dangerous sport, man. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Think, you know. <laughs> um, a, that was a great scene though. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Very cool. Very well shot. It's like you said, really great tension. Um one thing I like about Franco and and becoming a fan of his, I really catch a lot of stuff. You can really learn how to make films by watching a lot of Franco films. Like that's a good sequence to teach tension, and it, it's really basic. You know, you just show him, and you don't have to use every second. He's counting down, and you see it. He goes eight, nine. And you see her running for a while, and it's like you know eighteen, nineteen. They go back to that, and then the the progression of it, and everything, and and the back and forth, and the clicking of the gun, and it's just these steps really build. The building of the tension is really good. And Absolutely. Really, you know, yeah. And we've, we've got this thread of the, uh, the crocodile or the alligator. Yeah. Uh, that's always kind of looming in the, in the distance around this, this area. Yeah. It's very cool. Almost like Peter Pan and Cap- actually now that we talk about, it, I just kind of thought about that. I'm almost like, Gina Wilson's like Captain Hook and like the, the alligator, like Peter Pan, you know, like that's her enemy. And, She's always fed it or gave it stuff, and in the end, it's going to kill her. You know, as we see. Right. It. Yeah, right on. No, that's a that's a good that's a good parallel. I like that. I, I didn't think about that. So I was just talking it out, going, "Hey, that's kind of like that." You know, um, that's funny. Um, so yeah, so it's cool. Yeah, you talk about that really cool alligator, and he shows it swimming and he, the the pacing of it, and then you, and you know, being on a Franco film and not a crazy budget, you know what's happening. You don't have to see. You know, you see the red water. You don't have to see fake meat being thrown or nothing it's it's it does its duty you know yeah yeah we we don't have to have you know i, I mean a lot of his films are, are pretty pretty gory but i i don't i don't think we ever really get to the the point where it's just you know super gratuitous he he, he tends to ride the line between sex and violence pretty close closer to the sex side i think uh, yeah, he's usually not too bloody. I mean, uh, Bloody Moon, the next film, is probably his bloodiest like slasher film. But he had to do that for that reason to make a American slasher type movie, you know. But yeah, but tr- traditionally he uses 
a little fake blood and, and the knives are always dry and it's not like, you know, there's not a lot of crimson running through his film. So for the most yeah. part, pretty tame. Absolutely. Um, uh, and so then we see, uh, like you're talking about confusing the women. So we see one of these women who's busted for drugs. And I thought it was the guy's wife, but it was another woman that she's having that flashback of when her and the guy were smoking a joint and the cops come in and bust them. And we see why that lady's in the pen. And one of the cops on the left reminded me of uh, Rob Reiner, um, meathead from uh, all in the family. He had the glasses with the ball head and the beard. I was like, oh, yeah. hey, yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> I missed him. Yeah, you go back and watch that scene. It's like her her sequence. She's laying in the prison, thinking back how she was busted, and it was her and a guy smoking a joint. And the cops come in and bust them, and they were caught for drug smuggling or whatever it was. Awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, so we have that, and then um, like we had talked about, there's a really cool lighting effect, and you see it on them too, where it's all like sparkles on their glasses and all that stuff. So it's it's really really bizarre. Um, we have uh, uh, okay. So one thing about I'll, I'll I'll go over the the list at the end. But one thing Frank almost has like a recipe. He almost like a roadmap of things he uses a lot. Sure, and he uses a lot of mirror shots. And traditionally, mirrors are in bedrooms, and he shoots a lot of people on beds and bedroom scenes. So it I was thinking about that. It, it makes sense to have mirror shots in most of your films, you know, because it's a good way to. Instead of just filming somebody on the bed, you film the reflection or you film something to give it an extra artistic effect or whatever. So, sure. um, so we have this lighting or so we have this uh, mirror scene between uh, Tara and uh, the uh, the governor's wife. And they have a, a mirror scene where it's uh, the voiceovers I thought were really funny. Um, and it's weird because they're basically bringing this woman from the prison that they acquired for the wife and him to basically rape uh, so he could get hard to have sex with her to give her the baby. And he's impotent. And so he tries to get on top of her and have sex with her and he can't do anything about it. And it's really weird with Franco. He's like Franco in our society and everything and all life and stuff. He's very odd with his rape mentality, just Franco. So in this, he has like, the, the guy that's the rapist is like doing this to the woman and then she's apologizing and sad because he can't, you know, get hard and rape her and all that stuff. And you're just like, wow, what kind of yeah. living? it's really bizarre, you know? Yeah. That's pretty strange. <laughs> yeah. 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 They're all apologizing and it's like, Oh, it's like, aren't you going to run out of there or fucking <laughs> them or something? Or not like, Oh, it's okay. It's okay. You know? Yeah. Very, very odd. I don't know. That's one thing that's some things don't age well. And that's one thing about a few of his films where you're like, it's like really, a, yeah. It's like that's like a very very fragile male ego, like to where to the the massaging of the male ego in that scene yeah. is pretty insane. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of times he'll do the things where it's like a lot of his film, not a lot, of, but certain films that deal with that subject. He has the, and I've talked about this in past episodes, read interviews with him and stuff, where he basically has the idea and the morality of well, he doesn't believe in any morals, which you talked about in that in that video he said i'm amoral and that's why these things don't bother me blah blah but it's like he thinks that some of the women are basically you know forced by the way they're grown up or through church to to say no 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 but they really want yes and that's his thing and then once you break down the few pleading things then it's okay it's a natural thing and that's the way he tends to put that across in some of his films which 
you know, it doesn't really fly. So, but yeah, that's no, <laughs> definitely not good life advice, but at the end of yeah. the day, you know, you just got to keep telling yourself it's only a movie. It's only, yeah. A- and that's, and it's a product of its time and that's, it's made in this specific time frame in this country and this is what was going on. And so you, you take all that into consideration and if you're offended then you don't watch it, but if you just go, okay, well, that's what it is. And, move on you know I, I have to think some of it too you know like the 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 whole grindhouse thing right you're trying to or or exploitation thing yeah. right you're you know I, I know exploitation is mainly about the marketing but like trying to push the envelope by bringing you this thing that's just kind of ultra disgusting it's like um a serbian film Right. Right. People watch that because they hear this movie's so messed up. You can't watch it. Um, a lot of people watch, I spit on your grave because dude, this movie's messed up. You know, I mean, I, I got to think some of it's just like, how far can I push the envelope? Yeah. Movies? And, and for instance, you know, and like, like you talk about exploitation, like you said, is in marketing. Every film is an exploitation film. Any film that has Brad Pitt, they're exploiting Brad Pitt to sell the ticket. Absolutely. Exploiting whatever. So in these types of film, if you don't have the budget for it or whatever, you try to exploit things that you can't see in other movies. And in this film, we see some of these things that we'll talk about later, but, but there's certain things that you go, well, I don't have this or this or that. And, and, you know, like you said, God's greatest invention is, is the naked woman. So it's like, you know, that's, that's the greatest special effect there is. And you'd be a fool not to use that. So, and and Flaco uses that in great plenty. There's a minimum of 50 of them in this film. Oh, I yeah. Stopped yeah. counting within 10 minutes of watching. Yeah, no, definitely. If you like naked women or topless women and just – but but I loved – like, yeah, going back to that, it's, it's so cool. The girls have, like, big ponchos or these big sombreros and, like, the topless and these guns, and they're standing on these rocks, and it's just it's very, you know, fantasy-oriented. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, like, a striking image, right? It, yeah, yeah. Like, like, from a, you know – tactical standpoint it makes zero sense but yeah. <laughs> it's a striking I don't burn, they would have any like why why just have cutoffs in the top or a bra or something i don't know i, I, I hope that too you know not too many people got sunburnt but i i can't imagine that <laughs> nobody got burned on this set there's no way yeah that's true um so uh okay so now on my notes i have well, I'm only 35 minutes in, and it's already excessive. <laughs> That's like pretty, pretty crazy. Um, what I liked is that, um, so yeah, he had mixed his um, abduction sex traffic type film with a women in prison film mixed with a kinky couple film. So that's what kind of these three genres are that you kind of like. That's what's cool about Franco because he's made so many films by this time, 99 films, and yeah. 99 Women was a prison film, which is interesting to think about that. But uh, by this time, he has all these different subjects and 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 setups and plot devices and and scenarios and all this stuff. So he just takes certain things and changes them a little bit and adds this in, and it's like a total meal that he's making with all these different ingredients and stuff. So he knows what works and what doesn't work for the most part by this time, you know. Yeah, I oh. mean, out of, out of his catalog, I mean, the, you know, he's made. I can't think of a family film he ever made, but. Uh, captain of twelve years or a captain of fourteen years. That one he did, and really, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me see. I'll pull it right. I, I have all pretty much all of his films. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, it's like a captain of fourteen years. Uh, yeah, so he did that one. Uh, shoot, where is it? Um, oh, it's uh, yeah. So he did that one. It's like a basically a kids movie. 
about a about a kid that's is on like a captain ship. So this one. What? Yeah, it's like a good. It's basically it's got um, uh, Howard Vernon in it, Doris Thomas. Uh, Vernon's got, great. Uh, yeah, yeah, oh god, yeah. Um, William Berger is really good in this. Uh, he's like this kind of this guy that helps the kid on the boat. He's really a bad guy, kind of pirate, evil guy and stuff. And Howard Vernon's a pirate too in this. So this, this is really good. And he did one other kid's movie called uh, In Search of the Golden Dragon, uh, which you can get on uh, YouTube, actually. Uh, wow. Right. Yeah. We and, need uh, Severin yeah. Kids. Severin Kids needs to get a hold of those. They should do those too. Yeah, they're, they're, they're really good good family films. No no nudity, no cussing, no nothing. And they should definitely put those out, especially since they do all the Just Franco stuff anyway, practically, you know? But yeah, yeah. Most, most of my Franco stuff is definitely from Severin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, let's see what we got here. We got um, so what I liked is yeah, like we talked about different uh, the different styles of the cutoff jeans and different cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really cool scene that we see coming up of a fight. We have these two uh, a guard and one of the prisoners fight, and basically she says, "What's your name?" She says, "My name's Mercedes," and she says, "But people call me I forgot what the other name." She says like Cantina or something or some name, and she goes, "Oh, is that where you're from?" And she says. She kind of rubs her cross. She goes, no, this is where I'm from, and it's a lot cleaner than where you're from, whatever. And they yeah. start fight, and they have this really good brawl on the ground, and then they break it up, and then they get pulled into the warden's office, basically, and then they have to go get put in these two cages, and then they fight on the top of this mountain at, like, sunset, which is pretty cool, with, like, a saber and, like, a spear. And they're, like, fighting for real and everything. It's yeah, he, he said they used real weapons, too, and I was like, yeah. oh, man. I know, he used heavy metal weapons on that one. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that was really well filmed, too. I totally like that sequence on top of the hill. It's all shadowed and really well night. It's like a totally, probably the best shot scene in the film, like, you know, like classy-wise and stuff. But Oh, absolutely, yeah, This with the sun setting. And, uh, yeah, it was it was a beautiful scene. Yeah, the cages open. They kind of crawl out. They look at each other, and they, like, stand up real slow and grab the weapon. I was like, this is, like, even choreographed really well. And yeah, it was really, 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 really good scene. And it's cool. So there's no Lena Romay in this. And she was, I guess, like the assistant director on this. So the stuff she's not in, she helps out behind the camera. So, yeah, that's why I have trouble. I have trouble formulating a timeline for all these things because it's like the before Lena stuff. And then, yeah, she came on the scene and then all of a sudden she disappears from time to time. And I'm like, uh, yeah, because like by this time, I mean she's she's in it and, and she's kind of like doing the candy coster stuff where she's getting a little bit older and, and and she's wearing the wig on a few films and stuff and changing up her look and doing some more hardcore stuff and, and a little bit here and there and stuff. But also by this time, you know, she's learning behind the scenes stuff and a few of these other films where she's only in it for a few minutes or not in it, she's doing something behind the camera. And the f- two or three films that she's helped out, you can actually tell it's the production's a little bit better, like, because he has a little extra help, you know, these little things like that made a difference. And an extra person, like in uh, the Eugenie one, there's a shot of where they use this uh, chiffon kind of a fabric over the camera, and it looks really trippy. And I know Franco couldn't do that by himself because Franco was camera operator, the editor, and the director just to knock those things out. And he did, and like this film, he shot in three weeks, and it came out like three months after he filmed it. Which is isn't that wild, man? Like, directed and did all the sound. And this film has a lot of sound. There's a lot of 
voiceovers, sound effects, music, a lot of post stuff. I'm like, it's wall to wall, like a soundscape. And it's even more amazing. I looked at the time frame and yeah, cause basically he shot this in October of 1980 and it played, uh, basically January. It got the certificate January of 81 and it played in Germany in March of 81. So that's like the turnaround is amazing. Yeah, that's nuts, dude. Yeah, like five months of the latest and three months of the earliest. So that's and, just. And this isn't like a 75 minute movie. This movie's like. No, I know. You know yeah, it's like 102 minutes or something. something yeah. Something. Yeah, it's crazy long, you know? Yeah, it's, it's just, it's just, man, man. And it's, yeah, it's even more amazing when you look at how fast you, how fast the turnaround is. It makes you, wow, I even kind of like it. I appreciate it a little more. I have a little more respect for it, you know, after knowing that, how quickly it was done. People could say a lot about Jess Franco. I don't think they can call him lazy, though. Oh, God, no. No, it's it's funny. That's the one thing I really admire about him. And like I had talked about on other stuff, starting this podcast helped me as a filmmaker, like by basically learning his style and how he got stuff done. And I was always pretty quick. But to me, I would do a film a year. And I was looking at him, and he was doing four films a year. And, and the busiest he did was like 14 films in one year. And he released like... 12 of the 14 one was like unfinished and one was unreleased or something but yeah but basically 12 films or so is pretty fucking crazy dude you know that is i mean you think about you know like stanley kubrick or something he had, he didn't he only do like 10 movies or yeah 10 or 12 films yeah kubrick you know it's funny that's kubrick's name keeps getting brought up to me with people it's so funny like and I was going to talk to you this later, like with filmmakers and stuff. Like when I was a kid or a young guy, I really wanted to be Kubrick. Like that was my, oh my God, Stanley Kubrick, he's the man. You know, he's the fucking God, you know. And I don't know, the more I make films, the more I really love films and the 20, 30 years go by and stuff. I, I just, the more I read about Kubrick and hear about him, I just don't have a lot of respect for him like I used to, man. Just the way he treated people and the, the heavy, just pointless work just to get shit done and the hours and months and just to do one shot and, so a waste, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's got to be some balance to it, you know. That's And and also, like, with Franco, too, and that's a, tying those two together, it's like, with Franco, because I was kind of a snob, too, when I was younger. Like, I would kind of, like, goof. And it's funny, like, as I get older, I, I learn, I tell people the things you kind of make fun of or goof on a little bit. When you get older, you actually kind of like it. And you're like, well, that was actually kind of cool. Maybe I was a little snob or I was a little prick or being about or whatever. Like, Franco, I used to say, oh, he's – this guy's got a hack, man. This stuff looks funny and uh, it looks cheesy. Look at that thing over there. What the fuck? You know, but then as you make films, you do money and all this other stuff. And then I looked at something, I go, you know what? That instrument he has on that wall is hand painted and you can see the little flashing lights and you know, they probably built in a day or two or whatever. And it maybe costs a couple hundred bucks or something, if that, you know, and sure. I go, well, but it serves as an effect. You know, it's a instrument for a mad scientist panel. Would you rather spend $20,000 and build one and it's still on screen for the same amount of time and it's still serving the same purpose. Who the fuck cares what it looks like in your brain? You know, it's what it is. So who the care, who cares how nice it looks or not nice it looks or, you know, and that's the thing where I, I kind of like broke a barrier when I started learning that way and thinking that way a little bit, because maybe go a little less hard on myself or other things. Cause it's like, well, shit, dude, I mean, you get the point across, who cares if it's a, painted wrong or if it's got three bolts instead of five or whatever. I mean, who cares, you know? Yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to analyze every single section of a frame of a film. I mean, you can just enjoy it right as, as yeah. a whole and, and an experience. So I, I'm, I'm right on 
Yeah, it tells a story. I mean, that's basically what you're there is to tell a story. A movie's about sitting around a campfire telling a story. That's basically what it is. And you tell the story, and that's what it counts. If they like the story, then that's that's what the movie is. You know, absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah, totally crazy. But um, so yeah, let me jump back into the film here. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I don't know that was me. I was like thinking about that whole thing with Kubrick, and so it was crazy. Um, so uh, okay, actually, a good part here coming up. Um, so. We have now is uh, with F the fight scene. We have this weird scene where we get uh, bestiality introduced into the film. Wild scene yeah. here, yeah. <laughs> Little uncomfortable. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know. And I reading about it, they're like, "Oh, it's faked," and I was like, "Okay, blah blah blah." And, but then I watched it, and it was like. I mean, of course, it's faked, but it's still a little close. Like she's naked, and the dog's like putting his paws upon her shoulders, and you could tell he was just like trying to stand up or something, but it's still, he's close to her. And, but the way he shoots, it's amazing. So he shoots all these little toy miniature trains and these little guy playing a, a violin toy, like a little wind up mechanical toys. And he's got these crazy looking monkeys that are like cutting things or playing something and all yeah. these little wind up toys. And it's interesting because I was reading about it and they compared it to basically that all these people are all wound up and they're all little toys being played for the amusement of others. And everybody's here watching all these things go on. And basically this whole film is about animal urges. And like that scene is basically the animal urges. And it's all about, and that's one thing I was reading about this is I love that concept of in our minds, how an urge to do something will change so much. Like if you have an urge about a woman that you see or a man that you see and, and you want to know more about them and you might throw your whole life away to go chase that thing or you have with drugs or alcohol or you have this obsession or something gets inside you and or a thought or, a, or even a, a story idea where I get where I'm just like and it controls my whole being and I'll write it for two days. My whole life's contained by this desire, this thought, and you have to get it out of you. And I, and I feel that way with certain things too where you, you go through things like, well, what if I don't have this cup of coffee in the morning? What if I don't have caffeine? But you go through these things because it's like a, a habit or a mechanism or whatever we have. So it's interesting like that with this whole thing is all oh, this whole film is about, you know, the urges of the animal impulse and everybody goes through their own impulses for their own gratification, you know, basically, and not caring about anybody else or anything that falls out because of it, which is saddlemania, which is through the Marquis de Sade. And that's basically what uh, a sadist is, so. Sure. Okay. That, that, that totally checks out then. Yeah. Because they all, they all just behave on that, the, the id, I guess. Right. Yeah. Like where you just impulsively screw or eat or, or do whatever base thing you, you want to do that. That's all they're concerned about. It's no, I mean, the one lady wants to have a baby supposedly, but like, you know, even that, it seems like it's, it's a, it's a prop. Right, like, 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 why is that impulse? Is it because she's programmed? Because she knows she has to have a baby, and that's her place. And well, now I'm bored. I have to have a baby because it's like, I think to her, it's like that's her thing, just something new to do. That's her new impulse is to have a kid because she does all these other things like kidnap people, and she doesn't have to, and all this other shit. And she's just like, you know, and, and they have the whole routine and all that stuff. So, yeah, that that makes sense, man. I didn't even yeah, think about yeah. it watching it, but yeah. Yeah, that's that's this whole thing, and 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 he has that idea in a few films of his, and I, and I always dig that that idea because you see that in a lot of films like uh, Fatal Attraction, for instance, or, or something like that. You know, play Misty for me, or something with obsession, or with any kind of a, you know, something that controls you all the way through, and you just can't stop it or whatever. You know, even like sure. The Exorcist, you know, a possession or something like that. You know, 
but sure. uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, uh, so let's see, we got that, and then we got um, yeah. What I like too is okay. So during that scene of the dog and her, I liked uh, Antonio Mayan's eyes. The governor, he's like looking at her, kind of like with this fake, and it's interesting. It's like that's part of his routine. Like as the sadist, he's acting like he's concerned for her, like seeing her in pain, but that emotion is part of his climax or part of the aphrodisiac, you know, like, Oh, she really is sad. And that gets him more excited. And it's that next step, the next step. So those little basic psychological things, I think really elevate that scene more so, you know? Oh yeah, I agree. Yeah. And it, I mean, yeah, just for shock factor, you know, if you watch 10 to 50 to a hundred Franco movies, this has got to be one of the top most shocking yeah. scenes, I, I think. Yeah, no, I, I would have to agree. There's a few things I've seen that are like, oh, but yeah, out of like just out of nowhere, it's just like, yeah, and like you talked about it, like almost like they, they, they do these things to top the next thing and top the next thing. It's like, because we have the scene I didn't talk about of sticking the needle in the woman's breast, and that's kind of like from Greta or Elsa, where they did that with Lena and, and, and Elsa in the scene with the pins and everything. And so, yeah. That, was, that bothers me so much <laughs> watching that, 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 I mean, not, not morally or anything, but it's just like licking blood and stuff. Always bothers me. It's, a, it's just, it's just from the side. So he's just going behind it. You know, yeah. it's just an optical trick of where the camera placement is, but then the little blood and afterward looked really good, you know, but yeah, a lot of it's really practical, just, Magician tricks is what he's using on these, and they really work really well, you know. There's a scene in a, vir- a Virgin Among the Living Dead, yeah, where there's some sort of breast blood, yeah, something. with the scissors in the bed, the two girls, yeah, oh, yeah. I, yeah. stuff like <laughs> certain, <laughs> it's like the fingernail thing, like if they pull your fingernails out in a movie or, or yeah, teeth, yeah, yeah. you know, that's I don't know, some reason that I'm just like, oh, you, that's your thing, yeah, that's funny, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, that, that's that's a good call, yeah, he, uh, he. He does. He does do the, like. Like I said, he does um, repeat himself on certain things like that. It's pretty crazy. But uh, yeah, like I, you had said, most shocking. I had put crazy scene. Wow. Like I was just like, wow. I can't believe I watched that. <laughs> Don't expect it either. <laughs> yeah. You know. I mean. <laughs> yeah, it's just like okay, no, let's throw this in. You know. It's, yeah, and the the wimp. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. The soundtrack of it's not that good. Um, but uh, and then we have. Um, so it's funny. So while uh, all that goes in. We see the original guy in the beginning, and he's got a friend, and they're trying to break into the jail so they can get his wife back. Or and so, uh, and, and immediately when they break in, uh, his partner's killed, and then he's captured by uh, Ajita Wilson, the warden. And um, it's cool. So I put that they played up her stroking the pole in scenes. You see her like stroking the pole a lot, looking at him. I was like, okay, that's the dick thing, and that's pretty funny, and you know, transsexual <laughs> and also. Um, and uh, I got. Um, so, so, so this is funny. Okay. So this is a total hero shot. So this guy, comes <laughs> in, he has sex with the warden, this woman who's the dragon. So he slays the dragon. She even says, I'm the dragon. Come here and, you know, feed to the dragon or whatever. So he basically Fs her really good. Gets her all excited. She's, she's, she's spent. He, and she says, take him, take him away. So after he has sex with the warden, satisfiers. He walks down and he has three armed guards that are are escorting him. And he knocks out all three women and takes a weapon after he has sex, drops a load and everything. And he comes back like, wow, you got some stamina, dude. And you're like Superman. I I am in no way saying 
it's okay to hit women, but like how many movies have we watched where someone's being led around at gunpoint where we're like, just grab the damn gun. Exactly. But yeah, (laughs) this guy's been fucking muy macho, you know, I was like, all right, (laughs) it's pretty funny. That was a pretty funny scene. But uh, yeah, so um, I I did laugh at that scene. I, I, I didn't, this, this movie has two scenes. I didn't expect, I didn't see coming, you know, the dog thing in this. Yeah. That's funny. Oh, and then, and then it's funny. It's crazier. So then we cut over to um, the woman who had just uh, had sex with the dog. She wakes up the next morning and she's like, oh, that was disgusting. And why did you do that to me and all that other stuff? And then uh, and then like the wife explains, oh, it's blah, 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 blah. And then she like forgives her and kisses her like after she just had her like chained up and fucked by a dog. Yeah. It's, it's like, like, what? The uh, the. um roller coaster of emotions in this film yeah. it's, it's intense they're topless laying in bed kissing each other and it's like what yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and now and then uh so then we get to see um basically in the beginning we have this woman that's sold into this like white slave trade uh slave boat and then we see the slave boat the second time and we get to see uh jess franco makes his cameo appearance as a gay uh slave trader He's basically this like pimp and he has, it's funny. It's almost like he's doing a gay version of himself. Cause he has all these women around him that are like cooking and, and he's basically running the place. And, like those are his girls and his acting, but he's like the gay guy in this. And he's like, uh, really ruthless and this and that, but it's, it's really funny that he's, that he plays this role and, and he's pretty funny in this role, the way he acts. I mean, he's dubbed of course. So I'm curious what voice he used, but, uh, I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, I enjoyed him in this role. Um, I, I like seeing him on screen, man. It's just, yeah, it's always a treat. It's not, I guess it's kind of like the Hitchcock thing, right? Like you, you look around for him, but Franco, it's way more obvious when oh, you yeah, see yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he always, he always plays a little bit different. He'll play. It's funny because he used to be, he used to always put himself as like the uh, FBI agent or the guy that worked at Scotland Yards or in some of the earlier films, I would laugh because he put himself in these really scholarly, like, here's the smartest guy in the movie. And it's like, he walks in and he's solving all this stuff. And you're like, Oh, of course you put yourself as this, but in here it's funny. So then as time went by, he mocked himself and put himself in these really silly roles and did other silly stuff and stuff. So it's good in this, that he's playing this totally against type and everything. So wasn't he like a, a psychic or a scientist or something like that in shining sex? He's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, he's like the, the guy in the in the turtleneck inside the office, I believe it was, or whatever. It's like the real scholarly guy that works at the university for something. Or for yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't remember. Like some professor, or some like really intelligent person. You're like, of course, you know, <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, you know, if it's your film, why not book yourself as the smartest man in the world? I mean, shit. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny. So we uh, the uh, the women learns about the brothel and stuff. They call it the. She goes, well, this isn't the uh, Hilton Hotel. And uh, and then uh, we see the, the woman that we see in the beginning, and you talked about confusing everybody, and a couple of women together were like, oh, yeah, you're you, and you're you, and that's that person. And she has her nipple that's, like, bitten off by one of the Johns that had got excited and bit her nipple off. They said, that's his thing, and he liked to do that, so he paid more money. Like, oh, oh. <laughs> That's his thing. His thing was the end product. Ooh. And then the lady brags about how big his dick is. She like puts her hands up to like two feet or something. She's like, oh, he's got a really big dick. And she's like, okay, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I want to keep both my nipples, please. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
And then, and then she's like, well, why don't you just leave and get out of here? And she's like, well, if you do that, we'll, we'll kill you and blah, 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 blah. And like the women already bought into the whole institution. So that's one of the things I talk about later is uh, a mind control. That's actually the a mind control element of the film is these women are basically their mindset is that they can't escape and that they're just there and they could leave if they really wanted to possibly, but they just go, oh, why well, do it? Let's just fuck it. You know? Yeah. You they're know? like essentially stuck because of they've given up. Yeah. Yeah. They just, they just lost all hope. Um, and then I noticed, uh, so when the guys are going in there and trying to break her out of the, uh, slave area, the male guard has a uh, lead jeans as well. So the real guard they take off has lead jeans and you see it around this thing. So that's, that's interesting. You know, I want to know if there was an actual denim budget for this film. Yeah. Or <laughs> he's just like, everybody bring your Lees or your yeah. Wranglers. I know it was like 1980 Lees and Wranglers were really big in Spain. I think so. We should look and see if the, uh, we want American blue jeans. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, rock and roll. So, um, so yeah, so then I, I basically kind of jumped around a few parts, but basically in the end, like we talked about, they basically uh, march the warden off into the crocodile, the water, which I I, I really like that last sequence is like her walking into the water as the credits start rolling up. I was like, that's kind of cool. It's like it doesn't show it; you just know that it happens, you know, and it just kind of like as the story goes, and then it just kind of ends, you know. I I like it. Um, part of me wants the satisfaction of seeing the warden you know, dismantled, right. but we, we don't need it. At this point, we've seen the dog thing. We've seen, um, you know, nipple mutilation. We've seen, um, we've yeah, seen it all. Yeah. <laughs> A daring yeah. escape. The escape scene was really cool. Yeah. Big time. Also too, I was thinking as we're talking, you know, like, um, Ajita Wilson, she had already had kind of a, kind of an image at this time, kind of like how a uh, Diana Thorne did too. And stuff. And I was thinking like we, how we don't see her destroyed because, she's almost not a superstar, but she's like this certain being and you can't see that image destroyed. Like John Wayne, you know, John Wayne wasn't shot until like his last movie, you know, he's killed on screen or whatever. And it's like with her, it's like, well, we know it's going to happen to her, but we don't need to see the head cut off or whatever that the grisly thing. I don't know. Maybe that's just, you don't want to break that image. Exactly. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, that might be part of it. Um, I'm going to jump through this Frankel list that I always do every week. Yeah, and let's then, do it. Uh, and then we'll talk about whatever you feel like talking about. Um, so, yeah, I always do this Frankel list of basically things that I see that he uses over and over again, possibly because of his budget, possibly because of where he's at, all that good stuff. Um, number one is body of water. He usually has a body of water in all of his films pretty much. This one, big time body of water. We see it quite a bit, and it means something. Because um, it separates people from other people. It keeps people away and in their hidden areas to do their illegal stuff. And it's it keeps distance between people. Um, and a lot of the stuff is really symbolic. Like he uses sailboats a lot. In this film, he used boats, but he didn't use sailboats. And whenever you see a sailboat, it's always like somebody following their dream, like getting on a sailboat and sailing away off into wherever. Like that's the sailboat. In this film, there's no sailboats, which is interesting. You see boats, they carry people to the slave island and, and stuff. You have uh, motorboats and like paddle boats, but no sailboats per se. So it's interesting, yeah. like the wind in your sails. And I've noticed that as I go through, like sailboats, they are always imagination and dreams and stuff. So in this, there's no dreams or imagination because it's all hopeless, you know? Sure. Yeah. Uh, number four, palm trees. Of course, we see a lot of beautiful palm trees. 
in this. Uh, number five, jungle sound effects. We have tons of sound effects in this, all the panting and the dog and the birds and all the voices and the wind. And we have so much sound effects in this. It's, it's crazy. Uh, number six, uh, chained up person. Oh, yeah. We have a lot of chained <laughs> up in this one. Oh, yeah. We got the woman chained to the chair with the, the dog. We get the women chained on the leash like thing in the picture and a lot of chained up women in this film. Definitely. Uh, number seven and uh, dance scenes on stage stripping. Not in this film, actually. There's no dancing on stage, uh, a strip sequence, nothing like that. that I can imagine. Everybody's already pretty much naked in this. So it's like they don't really strip down. Uh, number eight, club scenes, dancing. There's really no clubs or no social uh, festivities for people to hang out and dance in in this. Uh, number nine, jazz music. Yes, a lot of jazz music. Really good one. Uh, number 10, excessive zooms. Not excessive, but he did zoom in quite a bit into the island and out and that. Uh, out of focus shot. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. Um, we talked about that with the lighting and such with the camera and that. So it really gave that really cool effect of it was weird. So I was trying to like watch it as a filmmaker, trying to figure it out. So he had this effect with the light indoors and outdoors. And it was almost like whenever light would come in and shine on something, it would create a haze around it. And then if you stepped in front of that pattern of light, you would still see the haze behind and then partially in front. It was really bizarre. I'm trying to like go through and watch it and see how he figured it. I mean, it's all done in camera. Like we talked about it through the, mishap of the actual running of the camera but yeah it's just amazing effect i wish that could be copied with a filter or something or some kind of a after effects you can do you know i'm, I'm gonna kind of look into that um so number uh 11 out of focus shots okay number 12 uh mirror shots yeah we have some really nice mirror shots in this uh the two girls in the bed and uh a couple in the beginning uh number 13 mind control theme yeah we talked about some of the prostitutes i guess not controlled by like a mind control, like a Dr. Orloff or Dr. Z or nothing like that. But still there's the, the mind control of the slavery aspect, maybe in the, the mental, maybe that's a partial, I would say. Sure. Uh, number 14, magic tongue scenes. Well, Lena usually uses her magic tongue in this, but we have Ajita Wilson's magic tongue. And there's a really they show a close up shot of her kissing the guy and her tongue comes out and Franco zooms in real close and you have her like, and they show it in the documentary afterwards too. in the Saddlemania, they show that close up of the tongue. So you have uh, Ajita Wilson's magic tongue in this one. Yeah. And that was, uh, you know, I, I know we're, we're, we're audio here, but it was sort of strange. It was like, you know, a, a straight tongue, just, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, I don't, it was interesting. It was visually very cool, but I was like, I never I kissed like anyone like this. Or something. Yeah, just yeah. Like, like a docking sequence. <laughs> it's, a, it's a xenomorph. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Ah! Um, number six, uh, 15, uh, red lights. I didn't see any red lights in this film, even though they had the prostitution angle. You would think that he would shine a red light on some things. But, yeah, no, no red lights in this. Uh, number 16 uh, is two things. A sheepskin rug. No, no sheepskin rugs in this. Mm-mm. But – uh, a masturbation with a letter C item. So this all came about because in the Urban C. Dietrich films, which start from basically um, um, barbed wire dolls all the way to um, Women in Cell Block 9. Yeah. So I, I have this theory that, okay, so the uh, producer is Erwin C. Dietrich, okay? And in those 12 or 13 films about 
at least eight or ten of them, he always has a scene of a woman masturbating with a an item that has the letter C, a cigarette, a cane, a candy. It was like all these C things we kept counting. It was like, whoa, whoa. And I wonder if that was like Franco's little inside joke on his producer. Like, <laughs> I'm going to have a C thing. It's my little thing to you. I don't know. Maybe it was, I was looking into it too much. Whatever. I don't know. So with this masturbation, the C item, it could be a cane or a crop, a riding crop. So, and she kind of rubs herself a little bit, not heavy, but she seduces herself and the guy comes in with that item, you know, we see. Yeah. So that's slight. So yeah, I caught that. Uh, number 17, mad scientist and servants. They didn't really catch any mad scientists in there, even though they could have had some weirdo on the island do experiments, but they didn't. That's something they probably could have did, but didn't do that. Um, 18, fish tank shots. No fish tank shots. 19, talking parrots or talking animals. Not in this film. Usually, he sometimes he does, though. Uh, 20, end credits. Yes or no? Yes. Uh, number 21, a handwritten sign or note. Yeah, we have the handwritten sign in the beginning for the uh, the white uh, white hacienda when they drive up and it says no trespassing and all that. So you tell they made that just for the film. Yeah. So you got that. Uh, and then we got, uh, let's see, number 20. Uh, number 22, spiral staircase shot. I don't think I caught a spiral staircase in this. Um, 23, inept cops. We don't have inept cops, but we have crooked fucking cops. Because they're, you know, <laughs> they run the island and nothing's going bad about them. Uh, number 24, belly chains. No belly chains, but we got the chain across the belly when the woman's chained to the thing. But <laughs> so partial on that. Uh, 25, uh, kinks. Yeah, there's a lot of kinks in this. There's, wow, there's rape. There's bestiality. There's uh, fucking, I don't know, slavery. There's just so much bizarre stuff in there. Torture, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, just... A lot of stuff, <laughs> a lot, a lot oh, of yeah. people, and you, you had blah blah earlier. Um, 26, um, great headboards. The only headboard that I caught that was kind of cool is in Ajito's Wilson's house. She has this white headboard that has this red kind of painting on it that looks like a painting, but it's just her headboard. It's not too great, but it's something that caught my attention. Uh, 27, fear or desire? I would say f- desire. This film, because Franco devises films in either fear or desire. And in this one, I think it's all desire because it's like we talked about just the animal instinct, the lust, the desire, just that, that no thinking about anything else, you know, that burning desire, you know? Yeah. Uh, 28 acoustic guitar player, no acoustic guitar players, but there is acoustic guitar in it. And finally, um, is there a scene where they're reading a book? Yes. Jess Franco reads a book when we see him and the bring the girls on the island. He's reading some paperback book. I couldn't read the title, but uh, yeah. So he has that scene of him reading a book. And that is the Franco list. So, nice. Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's glad, cool. to, glad to have finally been a part of one of those. <laughs> and that's cool too. And, and we do this just naturally. And look, it's like an hour of the Franco. That's usually what it is. The talking is like the hour part. So that's totally weird how it works out. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> it's like a robot. <laughs> where, where does this stack up to you versus um, barbed wire dolls? <sighs> Barbed Wire Dolls is really good. Uh, it's got Martine Steedle. It's got Lena Romay. It's the first Dietrich film um, that he did for him. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I really like Barbed Wire Dolls a lot. Uh, I would say, same with 99 Women, which was his first prison, women in prison film. By this time, he had done probably, I don't know, not looking, I would guess maybe like seven or eight women in prison films by this time. 
So he has the genre down really well and everything and stuff. Um, I like this a little more because of the uh, variety of it, but I don't like, like, like you talked about it. it, It's, it's a little long in sections where it could have been trimmed in certain things. And I'm not for fast attention spans or quick cutting, but there are some sequences that could have been shortened and it wouldn't have lost anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I, I, I love the ending of, of Barbara dolls, even though it's a, it's a bummer, right? What's the ending again? It's been so long since I've seen it. They, Lena and I can't remember who's with her. It's like her and two other girls, they get to that house and they think they're, you know, home free after this kind of daring escape and they get shot. That's right. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, downbeat, definitely. Yeah, which is good. And that's kind of like like this, like, and in, in they have the woman walking to her death to the alligators. And like the, in the book, Stephen Thrower says, you know, it, it doesn't. It's smart to not turn it into a morality tale because they go, well, we know this is wrong and we don't care. We're going to do it. And like, this is who we are. And that's almost like the theme of the film, like their urges, like we don't care what these urges are. We want to do it. And this is, this is how it is. And fuck you. You know, we got the whip hands. We're the ones in charge, you know, that's kind of with society and government and, and things we're going through in life, man. It's like people have the power dictate how things go, you know, and that's kind of how this film tells you as well, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. It's kind of sad, but true, really, when power corrupts all, and these definitely are corruptible powers. All right, man. Well, Jason, I've had a good time, man. I think we should do this again. For sure, Corey. No, I'm totally, totally glad to meet you. It's our first time talking and hanging out, and it seems like we're old friends, so that's always good. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, uh, working with me on this. It's, it's no, been a blast. You. Yeah, yeah thank you for coming on my side of the podcast as well. It's really nice having the Spooky Dudes podcast and, and all that good stuff, and totally follow you guys and going to go back and listen to all your shows. So looking forward to it. Thank you very much. And anytime, anytime you guys, if you're, if you're listening to spooky dudes, go check out the Franco observer. Uh, you can find that on, I get it through, uh, my iPhone. You can find it through whatever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, it's 10 or 12, 10 or 12 stations. We got it on. So we got a lot of platforms. And it's good that I was talking to you, Jason, because, uh, something in our conversation shook my order from the halfway to black Friday Severn sale loose. And now it's shipped. Woo. Yay. Little Franco <laughs> jam on you. Yeah. Franco magic. I just got mine a couple days ago. So or actually Saturday, I got my uh, Makuma sexual faceless and uh, mansion of the living dead. Finally came in. So that's awesome. I, th- I always wait till they go a little bit on sale. I'm not the, I'm not the initial yeah. buyer. But but these mansion and Makumba were only like twenty bucks, so I was like, that's probably what they're going to be the bottom price anyway. So I went and picked it up because they're just upgrades anyway. But they're still nice to look at. So almost did. I got that nun. Um, oh yeah, the box set. Yeah, it, it was, was like forty of- bucks, dude. Yeah, that the Christopher Lee with Mark was marked down, and one other one. I think that three box sets are like half price. That that, that is a good deal. That's a killer deal. All right, man. We could talk all night, but we can't because yeah, sure. yeah. I'm tired. <laughs> all right, brother. We will. We will talk to you soon, Jason. All right. Adios.